The views and opinions expressed by the guests of the Inspira podcast do not necessarily represent the official policy or position of any agency of the United States government or any organization, public or private. Welcome to the Inspira podcast, hosted by your girl, me, Erica Mueller-Chen. I'm an international development specialist with over a decade of experience leveraging the amazing power of sport to promote peace and positive social impact. My career has allowed me to live in Europe, Southern Africa, and Latin America. In 2022, I accepted an offer for my dream job in sports diplomacy. And I also became an employee family member to a U.S. diplomat, a.k.a. an EFM. This podcast is all about inspiration and career advice. Each episode, I'll interview an inspirational global changemaker working in sport for development, social impact, or the diplomatic service. This series is perfect if you have interest in breaking into one of these sectors or you've already landed that dream role and are keen to learn from thought leaders. Enjoy today's episode and stay inspired. We felt that as an organization, we didn't have the right to reinforce the prejudice, the public perception that a blind person or someone with disabilities would need help or would be a beggar on the streets. Welcome, friends. Today's special guest is Gabriel Nair. Gabriel is a Brazilian physical education teacher who has worked with sport for development and peace since the first year of university. Working with the Rio de Janeiro blind soccer team allowed him to learn about Paralympic sports and ultimately led Gabriel to co-found Oresi Sports and Culture for the Blind, an NGO that promoted several pioneer projects in Brazil, including the first female blind soccer team and the audio descriptive commentary at the 2014 FIFA World Cup. Gabrielle has gathered additional experiences internationally, including earning his master's in adapted physical activity in Belgium and Czech Republic. He was also selected to participate in the U.S. Department of State Global Sports Mentorship Program. And he's worked in Ireland with the UNESCO chair, as well as the United Nations in New York City. So his resume is stacked. I'm really excited to talk to you, Gabrielle, about all of your experiences. So welcome to the podcast. How are you today and where are you calling us from? Hello, Erica. Hello to everyone listening to this podcast. Uh, I'm speaking from Sao Paulo uh, in Brazil. It's not my hometown. I'm from Rio de Janeiro originally, but since I moved, moved back from Ireland in 2019, I'm living in Sao Paulo, a huge city. Wonderful, wonderful. And I like to start our conversation before the questions, just mentioning why you inspire me, Gabrielle, and this will be related to how we met uh, because you and I had the opportunity to meet back in 2015 or 2016, right before the 2016 Rio Paralympic Games. 
you inspire me because of the work that you've done in adaptive and inclusive sport, including creating an NGO that has really done so many firsts in Brazil for people with physical disabilities. And I was lucky to see some of that in action because when we met, you and I were teaming up along with other thought leaders in this space to equip sports coaches and teachers in Brazil on what to keep in mind when working with people with physical disabilities, especially individuals who may be blind. So uh, I think you're quite inspirational and the work that you've done is so important and I'm really excited to learn from you today. Oh, thank you. Uh, uh, the work I was doing at the time uh, at Ures, it, it's it was very exciting to do in a, in a daily life. The routine was amazing because we had loads of uh, bureaucratic job, uh, loads of uh, tedious uh, tasks to do. But uh, dealing with the guys, with the beneficiaries, uh, the athletes, it was amazing to, to feel that every uh, spreadsheet was counting towards uh, changing lives. And, and if I say more than changing lives, giving platform for people to change their lives or providing opportunities. So to have this in a, in a daily routine, was something very, very special because as we will talk later on i i started to work with uh global projects and uh with, with policies and so on so you are not uh fortunate enough to to be close to people and to see people uh benefiting directly from the work so at that time was a very special time in my life yeah, thanks. Thanks for highlighting just how it felt to be in that moment. And uh, of course, we'll get into your founder story in a few moments from now. But just that idea, I think resonates with a lot of people that when you're closer to the impact, you can just feel so much more attached to this work and sport for development and peace. Uh, but that the aspirations that you may have, I may have, is to move up in our careers. And sometimes moving up, you get separated from the beneficiaries, separated from the sport. And so um, I'm, I'm excited to, yeah, to know more about that trajectory for you. So maybe to start things off, I would love it, Gabrielle, if you can just give us a brief overview of what your career journey has been and maybe any moments where you decided to focus on sport for social impact and specifically sport for individuals with disabilities? Well, uh, I'm a Brazilian uh, born in Rio de Janeiro. And as, uh, as the cliche goes, I wanted to be a football or soccer player. And I was pretty like, beyond average. And I had the opportunity to play to at some youth squads of uh, a big a big team I was invited to actually but because of the school time and arrangements I couldn't uh, go there and it was a frustration that when I was looking for university uh, I wanted to do physical education so to work with fo with football and to kind of fulfill the dream that I couldn't do as a player but funny enough on my first semester of the university Two friends who studied with me uh, uh, in the school, they they are blind and they they were playing at the Rio de Janeiro team of blind blind football, and they needed a goalkeeper. The goalkeeper is sighted, 
So uh, they said, look, you're studying at night, so in the afternoons you're free, so please come just to help us on the on the training. Like we have a, one goalkeeper, so he's going to the tournaments, but we need someone for the trainings, for the practices, so we can have uh, matches. Then I went there, and very, very soon, it was clear that I was a terrible goalkeeper. <laughs> <laughs> but... Apparently, people liked me, so they didn't <laughs> tell me to 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 go away. And also, uh, at the time, the, the National Federation of the Blind, they were hosting some chess tournaments, uh, for the chess for the blind tournaments in, in this institute in Rio. So I was helping them to organize the tournaments. And I was always a bit geeky, and I think it was 2001. And I was making a, a small website with live results from the chess tournament. And this was groundbreaking <laughs> at the time. Yes. It was expensive to call to mobile phones and so on. And people would know the results two days after the, the federation started to like my work and to invite me to other tournaments on goalball, blind football, and so on. And I started to, to invite people from my university to help on the, to volunteer in, in tournaments as well. And uh, 2004, uh, a few years later, I was invited by this uh, national federation to to go to Greece to uh, an exchange, a blind football exchange. The Brazilian uh, crew had to to do a blind blind football training session for all departments. And this guy who was the coach said, "Look, please do the training because I don't know how to do a blind football uh, training session." I did so, and one of the boys from England loved it, and he started talking a lot about me in this session that was when he best learned and practiced uh, blind football in his life, and he got very close to me, and I barely could speak English at the time. And in the last day, the his teacher, his coach, uh, was asking me if I wanted to to move for a year to, to England to work with the the English national team of blind football. But as I wouldn't have the, the visa and the time they wouldn't hire me, that I could go as a volunteer at the biggest uh, college for the blind in the UK. So I went there after finishing the university um, to, to, spend this, to have this experience and was being in one of the biggest college uh, for the blind in the world and knowing about technology where they, they develop uh, technologies that we would only dream of uh, seeing here in Brazil. So this started to give me a, a very wide international perspective on my work and starting to connect to, to, to people and finding trying to find solutions that they had in England, adapt and bring to Brazil. So it sounds like this was the beginning of Yoresi. How did that happen? How did you create this organization? At the same time, I was with some colleagues, some athletes and some uh, classmates and some other uh, young teachers. We were founding Uresi. I did, uh, just before going to England, I did an entrepreneurship course uh, to, to learn how to open an organization. So I just wanted to know how to register, to have the social the, the formal number of the NGO. And I ended up uh, leaving this program with a business plan, which no other organization had at the time. 
Endurance always was thinking that uh, as an organization first that uh, our dream of sports inclusion and so on was not the dream of a businessman of a company or whoever would support us. So we we couldn't sell our dreams. So please support us because we are doing inclusion. We understood very early that in, in this process, talking to, to classmates on these entrepreneurship courses that had for-profit companies and projects, that we needed to find ways that they could benefit uh, in their passion that was making money. So before having any activity, having any uh, beneficiary, any athlete, we had at the time the best website in, in Portuguese language about sports for the blind. So having this website, we we had the credibility to to start to have a, a, the first sponsorship. We felt that as uh, an organization, we had the we didn't have the right to reinforce the prejudice and the the public perception that uh, a blind person or someone with disabilities would would need uh, help or would be a beggar on the streets. So us as an organization, we would never beg for money. So we would find a project that would be uh, appealing, that we we having a good connection with media and being well prepared to work with the media, we would have more opportunities on the media so we could sell not our dream, but we could sell that we consistently are appearing on the media. So if you support us, you were going to appear uh, in a spontaneous way in, in the media, uh, in a positive way, not paying for an advert. And this would be the biggest asset that we had. And, uh, and when organizations and companies wanted just to, to help the blind, us as an organization, we, we had the, the strong position of not accepting that we didn't want help. We wanted to have partners and in this way uh, build something together that would fit our, our goals or dreams, but also would not uh, reinforce any prejudice about disabilities. So this was really great. And uh, I think that was a very unique perspective uh, of dealing with disabilities, dealing uh, in social uh, in sports for social change in general. I'm curious, in addition to those website sponsorships, how did you secure funding to stay afloat? We started to have too many beneficiaries and we didn't have in enough income. And people were looking for us to because they wanted to, to be part of our programs. And we didn't we almost closed the doors because we didn't have enough money. So I went back to this entrepreneurship course. I, we did a new business plan and then working uh, to uh, towards the social business model. So we started to on top of that that we did and having the sponsorships. We started to produce braille menus for hotels, for restaurants and bars. So in doing this process, we would hire the athletes to, to do the, the braille, to, to do the conversion, to, to print out, to, to deliver, to sell. Um, so in this way, the organization had more income and not uh, an income that had a specific destination. We could use this money in any way. So uh, flexibility that is 
very rare for uh, the third sector. We uh, would have those athletes being uh, trained to, to work, uh, so they would have a better qualification and they had a better payment in a way because the, the, the rates for selling uh, were way bigger than any other job. And we would have the city more accessible as well. So we could find uh, a way that in a triangle, uh, we'd have the organization more sustainable, the beneficiaries uh, having a better payment and qualification, and the city also more accessible with more prayer menus in, in restaurants and, and everywhere. It sounds like you were really going across sectors and missions in terms of sport for development, social enterprise, sustainability, human rights, inclusion, a whole menu of social impact. Is that what you knew at the time? So I think that we were always with the feet uh, at the uh, third sector, at the sports for the development sector perhaps defeat in the sports for development sector. But uh, even though in the beginning we didn't know that, we thought that we did only did uh, sports for, for the blind only competitions. Later on that we understood that we were dealing with human rights and so on. But we're, we defeat there, but looking at the third sector in general, but also outside. So always trying to find partnerships, always trying to, to, to have uh, disabilities as something transversal that would go uh, would be would fit other discussions other tables if you go so so yeah I think that this perhaps explanation how ORES came to be what it is now thank you Gabriel for sharing that and I, I tried to take so many notes when you were speaking because you were mentioning just what you were learning and adapting at the time which I feel is so helpful for people listening uh, so I, I'll try to pull out a few things that I jotted down one was about the the strength of your technology skills building a really strong website kind of signaling that professionalization of what you were doing uh, you also approach things with what I consider to be a strength-based approach. You mentioned not wanting to perpetuate what uh, some other organizations or people may be doing in terms of fundraising uh, to say, hey, I need help. Instead, you were saying, hey, like I don't necessarily need help. Like This is what we're doing. If you want to support it, support it. It's important work, uh, which I think is, is so important. And as you said, in order to not reinforce prejudice against people who are blind or people with physical disabilities. Uh, and then what you just finished with, talking about a social business model, adapting the business model you had already created, which to start with, you mentioned was unique, was a differentiating factor to allow you to succeed, and then revamping it, thinking about social business, thinking about how to partner with hotels and utilize the athlete's strength and skills in Braille and understanding different methods of communication that could benefit businesses. So um, those are just some things that I, I wanted to highlight. Yeah, I think that uh, one thing that sports uh, and being part of competitions helped us is that we could connect with a lot of people nationally and abroad. And always with this perspective of looking at everyone and trying to be kind of a, a big dish antenna, trying to uh, absorb everything and see how we can apply to, to all uh, 
model to our business. And of course, then all the margins uh, improved and, and then we would have more money to do activities and to invest. So I think that always uh, learning about the, how the process go and adapting, as you said, like working with uh, people with disabilities, you learn to adapt in all, as the world is not made for uh, whoever is not uh, fitting uh, a specific uh, target group and everybody else adapts. I think perhaps people with disabilities have to adapt even more. So we take this knowledge uh, and apply, even though uh, uh, I'm speaking in this way, but I, myself, I do not have a disability when I say we, uh, the organization with like the president and loads of athletes taking part of the decisions. Yeah, I think what you just said is is so profound, right? The reality that people who live in a society where it's not designed to serve them, and that does include people with disabilities. And, and I just want to zoom into one more topic before we kind of think about the wider sector of sport for development and peace. Uh, it sounds like with Yoresi, you've secured so many impressive partnerships. Are there any reasons that you attribute that success to? I mean, you mentioned a few things in terms of your, your goals were really clear, your communications were clear, your value was clear. Are there any other things that you think allowed you to get into those right spaces or those spaces where people could really team up and elevate the impact that you and Oresi had? Well, I think that uh, I had the opportunity to live, uh, as I said, in, in England, and then I had a scholarship from the European Union to do my master's. Uh, and uh, so these were two years living in three different countries in Europe. So this started to, to show me that uh, there were many differences in, uh, in how things were said and done in the global north and south. So many things that were expected to, to happen in the global north uh, are not part of the culture, are not part of the, the way things happen uh, in the global south. And, uh, and due to the power balance, this sometimes seems like one is uh, right and the other is wrong. I don't believe that. I think that they are different and, and trying to, to move uh, between those two uh, uh, realities is something that I think that my experience uh, helped because uh, sometimes if I would say in the same way to someone in the Brazilian government and uh, in a foreign government, if I say the same sentence, if I send the same, same email, in one place I would look uh, very out of touch and in in the other side, it would be not professional at all. So sometimes trying to, to dance a bit, and it's always tricky, and you always uh, you always feel like a colorblind chameleon. So you never know if you're blending correctly. You know that you can adapt, but you never know if you're in the right color in, in the right moment. So, uh, so I think that being able at least to know other shades of colors and ways to speak and what is expected and having connections uh, around. Uh, it helped 
us to, to connect. We started to during the World Cup and Olympic and Paralympic Games uh, in Brazil and in Rio in particular. We, we found uh, a niche of speaking to foreign governments that were looking for projects to support. And then we were showing ourselves as uh, a project that could have dialogues, who was able to, to understand the needs on monitoring and evaluation, for instance, or, or the, the amount of forms and many projects uh, is of putting for many projects in, in Brazil to, and I believe in the Global South, just to cope with the, the forms to apply for a project that are pretty standard in the Global North. So I think that many times uh, I could understand what partners need needed and dialogue with that and sometimes just be more clear on why it wouldn't be possible to uh, to fulfill some requests or some need. So being able to understand a bit better and, and transit between both sides, I think it helped. So being a bit closer is finding there was we had the big, big the mega events in Rio, so many windows of opportunities appeared. We found a niche, and many times it was easier to to fight for for money for uh, for projects uh, in this space that not everyone was ready to to dispute uh, here in Brazil. Quick break here to highlight what I consider to be a fabulous resource that I've created for any listeners out there interested in learning more about the sport for development and peace sector. You've come to the right place. In addition to Inspira podcast episodes that you can listen to, I've created a written resource that you can read, which currently has over 90 items I've curated from my own experience and vetted with other experts in the field. These include databases to find award-winning organizations, links to reports, books, and research, as well as recommended newsletters and recorded webinars, all Sport for Dev related. I encourage you to have a look. You can find this resource by visiting my link tree listed in each episode's show notes, then clicking Erica's Global Resource Hub. That's right, Erica's Global Resource Hub. If you like what you read and what you hear, I'd love it if you could give Inspira a five-star review on your chosen podcast platform and write a kind review. That would be so energizing for me and it would help Inspira reach more ears. Thanks and back to the show. So we worked with governments from uh, the United States, from the United Kingdom, uh, the Netherlands, uh, Australia, New Zealand, uh, and others, uh, Germany as well. We we did uh, projects for FIFA, as you mentioned in, in the beginning of the of the show. So with FIFA, we did uh, a new project, uh, a new service. We had an audio descriptive commentary for fans at the stadium. So we could provide tickets for uh, all the matches in Rio de Janeiro, São Paulo, Brazil, and Minas Gerais for people who would never, many of them would, wouldn't be able to, to attend the matches. 
And, uh, and if they did attend, they wouldn't have access to a service that was made for them. So it was an amazing experience to like to, to have a, a final, a FIFA final of the World Cup with a service specifically tailored for people with disabilities. As we said, that the world is not accessible, is not taught for someone uh, with disabilities or being there live at the, the World Cup final uh, doing this project. We knew that this would uh, support other projects for for kids who would never like were not born perhaps on that that time they are now benefiting for an organization that is strong nowadays what a journey you've had gabrielle it's just i'm learning so much wow i'm really like in awe of all the things that you've done and um, the spaces that you've been able to navigate right like you mentioned really candidly just now and and with me and other conversations that it's it's not easy and um i i don't want to put words in your mouth but what i'm gathering is that the experience being a global south citizen navigating spaces in the united states in europe in other places it you've said it yourself you felt like a colorblind chameleon what do you hope to see in the future in terms of uh any changes the sport for development sector can make so that bridging south to north connections is a bit easier well i think that uh we we can't just think about the sector we don't think about the world and how the power dynamics are because i think that this goes way beyond and uh i think that many like we have the language barriers we have uh, uh access barriers as well like to like the biggest conferences the, the meetings they are usually based in in europe or uh, in, in the us so like just not being able to to have a, a coffee after a meeting it's always uh, is already uh, an empire impairment for someone from the global south who who just video call to to a meeting so I think that we, we have many power dynamics that are uh, in place and we have a, a wider problem than, than just the, the sector. But I think that uh, if you think about the power dynamics and, and the world as a, as a world as a whole, the, uh, the sector is way uh, better than what we face, like let's say uh, in the if I, when I'm working, uh, when I was working abroad and so on, I think that once I, I'm in the meeting, if I am giving the same opportunities, people in the sector tend to to want to to listen to to someone from uh, with a different perspective, but uh, not always, uh, and due to the constraints on on budget and, and so on, not always. I think that the the meetings, the uh, the tables are set in a way that you, you will find a, a level playing field. So yeah, I, I know it's tough to, to find money for someone from uh, from Brazil or from uh, Argentina or from Zambia to travel to, to be to be there. Because of the language barrier, you uh, you have the, the right expressions uh, in English. So in this conversation, sometimes I'll, I'll say, speak one minute and you have a concept, you have the name of the concept, that this is, is a challenge uh, 
when you are not speaking your first language. But I think that getting all of this together for everyone to be in the table with the same uh, tools, the same possibilities and understanding that perhaps when I don't have the right uh, concept uh, name or uh, take 30 seconds to say something, doesn't mean that I know less than you that you, you have uh, on a click the right concept. We have to understand that uh, the Eurocentric the view of the, the, of the international table not always is fair to, to everyone. So the more and more that we, we can uh, adapt and go beyond that to understand people and to connect, to, connect with people. This week we had a, a conversation that for me is very important to, to know beyond work, beyond the project of the podcast, how are you, how are you doing? And then all of those nuances get way clearer uh, in this, this conversation that we had. So for me, a way of uh, dealing with that and to understand better uh, where each one is coming from and uh, each conversation, each intervention is coming from, to try to connect with people beyond the, the, the coffee conversation, but try to understand the challenges, the, uh, the motivations and so on. So in the end, for me, I believe that having those connections, better human connections, uh, makes every, everything else easier because if I connect with someone, I can explain that I won't be able to do something, everything that I was saying before, but you, you're speaking uh, uh, with a trust uh, uh, background in, in, the, in that relation and, and that I believe a lot. Yeah, that human connection is is so important. And it sounds like that's really allowed you to navigate those spaces with an ability to build rapport with people from different backgrounds from the global south, from the global north. Of course, your first language is Portuguese. So um, that can be a strength in certain spaces. And as you mentioned, in other spaces, you might, you know, again, I'm making an assumption here, you might be translating or figuring out, you know, how to reconcile those different experiences. So, yeah. Um, yeah. And that, I think that sometimes, like, if you, like, I, I believe I speak uh, good English. So you people take for, take for <laughs> granted that you know way more than you do. But there's a constant uh, process of thought and uh, to, to have like uh, experiences from, from your youth, you have to translate and so on. So it's, it's harder than, harder but, than uh, it looks or sounds. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Gabrielle, uh, shifting a little bit from your work at Oresi, your work in Brazil, uh, I understand that during the COVID pandemic, you had a really interesting role with the United Nations, which through that experience, I'm wondering what you saw, what you felt about sport for development and peace, especially what new challenges came up during the pandemic that were facing the sector and maybe your views now on what you see that could help SDP recover or bounce back better, if you think it can. I was very fortunate after uh, working at the UNESCO chair in Ireland and having a better knowledge of uh, global documents and UN documents uh, on human rights 
to to do a couple of uh, consultancies for UN DESA. So I was helping them to with some uh, research about the the field, the field, and supporting as well on the organization of events. So we had uh, one great event was the was uh, a web a webinar about uh, sports for people with disabilities and how the COVID pandemics were affecting the uh, the health and the access to physical activities for people with disabilities, and this, which was a huge uh, challenge because uh, many of us, we had, uh, we were doing exercises at home. We were using uh, remote uh, uh, Zoom uh, software or remote video conferencing to, to do exercises with uh, teachers and so on. But people with disabilities who, uh, many of them needing specific uh, equipment, specific uh, support to do activities and to maintain the fitness and health levels. They were struggling uh, more than someone without disabilities. And this is something that was very clear in other events that we organized. Because uh, what we had with the pandemics is the is widening the digital divide. So uh, as I said, many of us, myself and uh, someone from middle class in Brazil, I have access to computer, internet. I could do uh, online lessons, classes, and many things. But uh, uh, for whoever didn't have access to internet, whoever didn't have access to a computer, uh, being uh, with the social distancing at home, it was meaning complete lack of access to services, to uh, physical activity, and so on. So we had uh, great conversations about creative uses of uh, technology. So uh, uh, organizations uh, providing uh, a mobile phone or providing the internet access card to a teacher. If we think we, with one phone and one access to, to internet, we can reach uh, dozens of classes instead of trying to, to give one mobile to, uh, to each beneficiary also uh, but also thinking about how technologies can make let's say uh, a blind person uh, able to, to run alone in a, in a track or how a technology can make uh, prosthetics more affordable or you can or a ball that won't be destroyed as the one uh, one ball project so how technology in different senses is not thinking only about computers and internet can be used for the sector. So it's a challenge that we, we have to be aware of because when we promote our programs nowadays, many times we use uh, social media, but people not always will have access. So here in Brazil, we have a tradition in some places there's cars with huge uh, speakers on the back. So perhaps you can talk about your program in this car, talking to the whole neighborhood that you have free classes of sport and then you you will target everyone uh, and many people who wouldn't see your Facebook post. Thinking about this and thinking how uh, powerful a document made and a statement made from the UN can empower so many projects, Al Sorese is in, in Rio, 
So uh, this power of the work uh, in this level is, is amazing. So in the beginning, I was saying that you miss the, the daily life contact. You don't know the names of people who are benefiting uh, of this. But on the hand, you, you know that your work, like every comma and space that you type, is, is going everywhere in the world. So, so this feeling is, is very, is very, very, sometimes frightening in a way because you want to do your best and want to always do a bit, take a, another step and go a bit further. But it's also very re rewarding to, to think that uh, there's, there, are, there were a few places that this could be done for the sector. So to feel that I'm helping to like not only be the, the dishwasher antenna in the past, but also helping people to 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 throw things for other dishwashers antenna uh, around the globe. This uh, is a, is an amazing feeling. And sometimes I, I I'm writing and I think about Gabriel ten years or fifteen years ago how I would receive that if it, to be a, a language that was too off putting or how this would be applicable for me in Brazil with the challenges I had. So, so yeah, it's a, it was a great experience and I'm very happy that I had this opportunity. Gabriel, you are good with the metaphors. When you talked about feeling like a chameleon and then you mentioned the dishwasher, yeah, <laughs> like your yeah, English is better than mine. I'm like, wow, you're creative. So <laughs> I like that a lot. And I also just want to say that I feel like we could have, I could have a conversation with you about many different topics, right? Like we could have focused on technology. We could have focused on human rights. We could have focused on blind football, the global landscape. So I'm, I'm really appreciative that you're giving us a taste of each of these in, in the amount of time that we have today. And um, perhaps I can ask you for any special moments that you've had, you know, we've talked about challenges in the sector. And of course, those are really important to acknowledge. And I'm, I'm wondering what keeps you motivated to keep contributing to the sector. Another story that is very special to me. You mentioned that we made in 2009 the first uh, female blind football team in Brazil. And we went to Germany to, to play a tournament. And we won that tournament was amazing. Marta was the ambassador of the ambassador of the project was amazing 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 we got sponsorship in a way that no male uh, team had ever had so it was was incredible and uh, one of the days we were going from the hotel to to the uh, to the the gymnasium and um, the, the person who was guiding us there was a blind guy was a, a, a Heiner he's a, he's a friend from Germany and he lived in that city. So he, we were talking, I said, look, we're just talking too much. I, I, I don't know which start, uh, street we are. And I tried to read the name of the street in German for him. I wasn't very successful. He said, look, <laughs> I'll just use the, the cane. So we keep talking, but going by myself, I know where I am. And then, uh, and he took us uh, with more autonomy than he had with me as a guide to, to the court. So the, ne the next day we I spoke to him. He made uh, we made a note with uh, so yeah after three streets you go to the right and then just he gave the the instructions for the blind to to get from the hotel to the court 
And we told, told the, the team, said, look, now you, you bring your canes, you go by yourselves, here are the instructions how to go. And for the girls, that was, uh, they said, look, the, the blind guys in here, they have such uh, uh, independence and they, they can go everywhere by themselves. This is amazing. And one of the girls, she, she was saying, look, back in Rio, to go from my, from my house to, to the bus stop, I always need help because there's these stairs that don't have protection. So there's a big cliff on the side. And but once I get the bus, I can can go to the whole city. But I always need someone. This is tricky. The guys in here, they don't need that. And uh, I don't know, maybe less than six months after the trip, she moved from that place and she went somewhere that she could go to the bus stop by herself. And once she she was saying that that experience going to, to Germany was instrumental for her to not be happy at her house because uh, sometimes they, there's a, a friend who, who says he, on the trainings of the, of the commentary that when you are blind many times, you don't know that you don't know something. Knowing that in those projects and some actions that I did, I was showing something that people didn't know that they didn't know like giving those kind of access for them because she moved, she did the uh, the decision and so on. But if she didn't have the information and when projects can provide that, it's I think that is the uh, the best uh, are the best moments of of the work that uh, that I do. Gabrielle, what is next for you? 2023, I know you mentioned to me, you know, you're thinking about different locations, different countries, different work opportunities. What are you looking forward to? I want to move back to, to Europe and work with projects and try to, to help projects to design better uh, structure and better actions uh, and, and bridging this gap between North and South. So this, uh, I think that is the, the challenge uh, that I'm seeking and I, that I feel that I'll be able to contribute the most. Now that we know more about our guest's career journey, the rest of our conversation will allow us to have some fun and get to know our guest on a personal level through some rapid fire questions. We'll then start to wrap up with pointed questions focused on advice and how our listeners can transform interest into action. Enjoy the rest of the conversation. Gabrielle, what is your favorite food? Uh, Brazilian barbecue, Japanese food as well. And there's some good Japanese food in uh, Sao Paulo, right? Yeah, Sao Paulo has one of the biggest uh, Japanese colonies uh, in the world. So we have a, a neighborhood that uh, is kind of the, the center of this colony. And you have amazing uh, restaurants in here. Yeah, I think your friend took me there. It was, yeah, it was really nice. <laughs> <laughs> which cities have you lived in? And in which city do you feel the most alive? Well, so I lived in Rio de Janeiro, then I went to Hereford in England, then back to Rio, then uh, Leuven in Belgium, then Olomouc in the Czech Republic, 
Rio, then uh, Tralee in Ireland, then Sao Paulo uh, in, in Brazil. So, well, uh, Sao Paulo and Rio, we, I think that uh, we have Carnival, we have all the culture, so it's a, a, an easy uh, reply. But uh, the longest I spent was abroad, was in Tralee, and it is uh, in the countryside of Ireland, and it uh, taught me so much about life and balance of life and work and quality of life. Who is your football player? Who who is the one to you? Well, uh, I'll tell you the most important won't be the the obvious uh, choice because uh, he's a huge friend of mine as well. Uh, Anderson Diaz, he, uh, when I was working at Resi, he was the president of Resi. He's a blind football player and um, he was Paralympic champion in 2004 in Greece. So yeah, if I think about a football player, uh, I would be him. Not the, the famous uh, footballer, but yeah, Anderson Diaz is an amazing person, how he, he took and his path of life, how he used uh, sports and the opportunity that he had to to be at the national team and uh, to find the scholarship and to to change the reality of reality of his family. Gabriel, what advice do you have for someone who really wants to break into the sport for development sector? There's one particular thing that. Uh, I thought a bit uh, we love we laugh about it, but uh, is important is that in the beginning of the show I was speaking that uh, I was a terrible goalkeeper, and and then I started to help the coach, which is true. And it, how funny it would be if I was a good goalkeeper, we wouldn't have this show. <laughs> <laughs> but it was also humbling because I didn't go to work in sports for the development. I didn't go to, to help blind people. I went to play football with my friends. And more than that, I was the worst in the team. So uh, uh, in a way, like specifically about people with disabilities, it's very rare to see uh, a professional uh, understanding that uh, they are living in a uh, with a disability, they know a lot. A lot. They, there's a lot of knowledge that not always you have uh, in the books, in the conferences, and so on. So understanding that my position was not of a professional that will take knowledge or will do so, will do good or will do anything like this. This is was very important for me. So just another anecdote. Uh, at some point around 2011, so I was for 10 years working with them. When I had six year, years, I got uh, I managed to to have the sponsorship of one of the biggest sports brands in Brazil. It's a national brand, but uh, in some sports they compete with Nike. So uh, they started to sponsor us, and they basically said, "Look, we have these uh, equipments. You can choose whatever you want." And, uh, and I was telling Anderson, who I just spoke, uh, uh, that I wanted to, to, to ask some small bags that uh, you put the shoes, 
this boss shows in it and you can have the keys and so on. So because when we go to the, the matches, all the hotel keys are given to the coach and then we don't know who's, who's is who's. So, so yeah, let's have this small uh, bag that you hold in your hand to, for all the players. And then Anderson said, look, Gabriel, what do you want? Do you want to make our life uh, a, a misery? I said, no, like, I just had this sponsorship. I can ask anything. How, why are you saying that? As, and I said, look, one hand will be either with the, holding the cane or another person's arm. If you give me something to hold with the other hand, then I won't be able to touch and uh, interact with anything. So I need a hand free. Uh, okay. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah. And then we we had the the gym bags that you hold in the shoulders just with a string. It's very humbling because ten years on, I didn't know the needs completely, and it was amazing to have uh, Anderson taking the decisions and being in charge as a president and and being part of the decision. Because uh, yeah, I would have a very poor decision making in that moment if I was alone. If or if I was uh, if I was trying to do good for for them or any group, and this applies as well. What all we spoke about north south, so having people together and uh, and being humble that you you don't have the answers by yourself. Uh, this is very important for me because uh, I always think about the the gym bag. Like when I was writing something uh, at uh, the UN, is like. Yeah, is this another uh, gym bag situation? So it's tough because it's easy to, because you, like uh, I was talking about the projects, but sometimes I don't know that I don't know things as well. So being aware to what you don't know and respecting other knowledges, this um, working in such a diversity that you'll find in the field, for me is key. Perhaps it's not a, a very sharp and concise uh advice but was my experience and things that i try to to keep in mind constantly because it's easy to forget how can our audience support you or your work moving forward well i think that we can always connect we can have uh, good conversations like uh, i'll be happy to 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 connect with the audience to understand uh, how these can can become these experience can become a research perhaps we do have a few organizations in Latin America that are exchanging a lot of knowledge from the Urasi uh, experience to applying their realities and to to create their own organizations so yeah I'm open to connect and I don't think that there's a one size fits all. Great. Well, if you write an autobiography and if there's an English translation, I will definitely read it. And even if it's just in Portuguese, I'll find a way. So yeah, your, your life journey and all the journeys of those who you've interacted with is uh, really something special, Gabrielle. And uh, that leads me to my final question today, which I love to ask all of my amazing guests. And you gave me permission to ask you to answer in Portuguese with a little English translation. Who or what inspires you? There's a quote that I uh, once read from uh, from Ana Moses. She's now the, the minister. Just recently this year, she started as Minister of Sport 
em Brasil. And once in a magazine, in an interview, she said, "Se não está bom para todo mundo, não está bom para não está bom para mim." And uh, if it's not good for everyone, it is and good for me. And I think that uh, it drives me to to try to tackle inequalities and lack lack of opportunities. So it inspires me to to do my share to to get things moving in the in the right direction to a more positive direction and to have people with more rights, more uh, possibilities of uh, enjoying life with more respect, more yeah, more quality of life. Mm. Well, thank you. Thank you, Gabrielle, for your time, your inspiration, your advice, and I'm wishing you all the best moving forward. Oh, thank you a lot to you for not only for this conversation, but earlier this week we were speaking how great it is to, to be part of this project as someone who likes to know histories and to, to create engagement through histories and personal bonding. A project like this is amazing. So kudos to you and uh, congratulations is, is, a, is an amazing document for the sector. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode of the Inspira podcast with Erica Mueller-Chen. I really hope you enjoyed the episode and found it useful. Be sure to check out the show notes for links and resources. Specifically, my link tree is there with tons of awesome information. Feel inspired to take action today? I've got three action steps you can take right now because you know your girl likes calls to action and the number three. So here goes. Number one, follow the podcast on your chosen podcast platform. Number two, share your feedback with me through the listener survey listed on that link tree. And number three, tell just one friend about this podcast so they can give it a listen to. And do I have any overachievers out there? I've got a bonus action step, which is to consider supporting me and making sure this passion project prospers. So number four, follow the link to buy me a coffee. That would be pretty amazing. Until next time, stay inspired. Wanna hear you go.